In Ukraine, it's forbidden for men to go out of the country. And for men from 18 to 60 years old. So we should stay. We are obliged to stay. And I uh, asked my wife, maybe you can go. And she said, I will not go without you. That's Dr. Dimitro Gospardayov, a researcher in the Department of Biochemistry and Biotechnology at Vasil Stefanik Precarpathian National University in Ivano-Frankivsk, West Ukraine. I spoke to him shortly after the Russian invasion in Ukraine began, and it feels like that was a very long time ago. It wasn't. Just so you know, he is well and safe and still in Ukraine with his family as I am producing this podcast. He works on mechanisms of biochemical adaptation, metabolism of so-called reactive oxygen species, and this work is ultimately about, for example, finding ways to slow the aging process or to ward off obesity. Just briefly about this podcast, in my reporting, I speak with scientists around the world, and this podcast is a way to share more of what I find out. This podcast takes you into the science, and it's also about the people doing the science. You can find some of my work, for example, in nature journals that are part of the nature portfolio. These journals publish papers by working scientists, and a number of these journals offer science journalism. These pieces are by science journalists like me. Back to Ukraine and Dmitro Gospodaryov. I asked him to help me learn how to pronounce the name of his university, which is named after a Ukrainian writer. Vasil Stefanik. Vasil Stefanik, it's Stefanik. It's a Ukrainian writer here in the region. And then here he is pronouncing his last name so you can hear how it should sound, which is not how I manage it. Sorry about that. Okay, and your last name, I mean, it's Dimitro, if I can say it that way. Dimitro, Dimitro Gospodarov. And I asked him how he is. Well, I'm fine. And uh, this time is not very different uh, in our region. It's important to emphasize that it's our region. It's The time is not very different from early COVID time when... Uh, we couldn't go to our workplace uh, and should uh, wear well. We all, we still should we still wear masks. COVID plus a war makes doing science particularly challenging in Ukraine. Dmitro Gospardiov is an associate professor at Vasil Stefanik Precarpathian National University. Uh, yes, it's a, it's classical university. It's mostly. Uh, uh, humanitarian university, our natural or science departments, they uh, are relatively young. They kind of, our department is 20 years old. And I was at the beginning of our department. So, ah. yeah, yes, so my, I spent, I worked 20 years at this department and I started to work uh, when it, it just started. He is part of a group of 24 scientists and staff and 64 students overseen by Volodymyr Lushak. We don't say like principal investigator, we have other names for this, but in general it, it looks like this and we have team uh, and this is very good team 
uh, we communicate with each other, our principal investigators. We have some persons who keep teams and I work for different teams. I'm associate professor, so I don't have my own lab, but our lab uh, still works. Um, the head of our lab is Professor Lushak, Volodymyr Lushak, and people visit uh, the lab only to keep cultures of fruit flies and mice and so on. We, uh, yesterday, we uh, talked about uh, some experiments, maybe short ones, so we can't do our regular analysis, but we decided we can do some behavioral tests with mice because it's quick. With the ongoing war in Ukraine, science is grinding to a halt in the country. The day of Russian invasion, February 24, 2022, was a difficult day. It was really difficult uh, in the beginning, uh, on 21st of uh, February. Uh, this day was chaotic, completely chaotic. Uh, next day was all in use, we uh, followed news, and only after two days I realized I can start to read something uh, and to do my uh, regular work. Uh, I tried to figure out what happens, uh, how it may last, for how long, and so on. And once I figured out how it goes, then I try to be calm. But it's not, it's not possible for all people. For instance, my wife, she is still kind of nervous. Uh, well, this situation is unpredictable still. The question for many has been to stay or leave. Many have left Ukraine. Just recently, conscription has started for all men in the country. Dmitro Gosparayov emailed me when he was standing in line to be conscripted for military service. In Ukraine, it's forbidden for men to go out of the country. And for men from 18 to 60 years old. So we should stay. We are obliged to stay. And I uh, asked my wife, maybe you can go. And she said, I will not go without you. Uh, yes, and this is also applicable for many of our students, only probably first grade students uh, can go out. Uh, yesterday, we also decided that maybe uh, either during the war or uh, after, after the war, our students can train in Europe. It's possible to organize uh, because they lost uh, lots of trainings because of COVID and distance learning and because of this war. So these students, they, they, they have really spectacular time. COVID has hurt trainees in Ukraine, and I guess one can say has hurt trainees everywhere because training got derailed in many types of ways. And now the war is adding to the challenges all trainees face in Ukraine and established scientists too. I asked Dmitro Gospardoyov if it could be useful to researchers to take part in meetings via the internet or participate in lab meetings electronically. What he really wants to do, of course, is get back to doing science, but contact with the outside world 
would be great. It's uh, it's possible. It's useful, for instance, for me because it's development. Uh, if I present, take part in discussions, in journal clubs, of course, it's, it's development because we do not communicate uh, uh, frequently with uh, our colleagues uh, from abroad, from the US, from Europe, and it will be very good for our development, but it's definitely not added value. Added value, I need to produce some knowledge, I need to analyze data or do some, at least some bioinformatics or biostatistics or something that people abroad can't do. Being a scientist, adding value to the world's science is always quite challenging in typical times, and especially so during a war. Dmitro Gospardiov has data from experiments done before the war and is working on a paper right now with that data. His university department is close to a plant that could be seen as belonging to the defense industry. So it's dangerous to be nearby because it could be a target of missile attacks anytime. Daily, there are alarms and air raids. Uh, it's daily. Uh, today, early in the morning, we had one alarm. Uh, and it's, it's break our sleep uh, a little bit, but we uh, adjusted with my wife. Uh, we do not go somewhere deep under the building, but we find uh, at this moment we found a safe place in our flat and we go there during this air alarm. Sometimes we may have three air alarms, but um, usually it's daily and uh, in some cases we are really bombarded. now they hit just one point, it's airport in our city, it's five kilometers out of our house. And the first day was uh, the hardest because uh, it was, uh, we heard explosions and uh, right away we saw a very big um, column of, of, um, of black, uh, Smoke, smoke, smoke. Very, very thin and big and black, but it was not big uh, this, uh, destruction because uh, they hit into a room where, where some oil uh, and fuel for, um, for planes, for military planes. So it was not so so dangerous but it was when you look at this it looks dangerous there is destruction and there are atrocities being committed people being killed relatively speaking western ukraine is a little safer than other parts of the country humanitarian aid has difficulty getting through food supply has been okay in his region our shelves and our shops they emptied a little bit but we hope that uh, it's like wave, so maybe after some time we still have uh, as much food as possible as it was uh, before the start of the war. And actually, uh, after the start of the war, we went to the suburb uh, near the Ivanofrontivsk, 
uh, and uh, shops were full of products uh, there. Uh, but when we returned uh, to our city, we saw emptied uh, shelves in uh, supermarkets. But uh, now we don't have we don't have problems with food so far. Doing science takes supplies. Getting supplies in a time of crisis and war is especially difficult. In his research, for the wet lab part of his work, he studies and measures mitochondrial activity in cells, and he uses methods such as blue-native electrophoresis. Right before the war, he had begun using PCR, which is common in many labs. But in many Ukrainian labs, it's been a bit out of reach financially. That has to do with the reagents and the kits and the instruments. Exactly. And instrument and the kits. Right before the war, he and colleagues managed to get more funding for their science in Ukraine through the National Research Foundation. Their research project was slated to end in December 2022, so they had been hoping for a renewed grant. But alas, the war has changed this situation. And recently, uh, in our country, uh, well, we got working the National Research Foundation in our country and this is um, uh, this was a result of a long-term work of science activists in our country who raise this topic every time so create this foundation create this fund and finally it was created and it worked and it was quite big money this was government funding for a lab he is a member of and for other labs. Just recently, they informed us that they will not uh, fund us. Uh, they will not continue these projects. But this, this was expected because Kyiv is bom- heavily bombarded and likely all money will go for army and for, the, for, for victory for other humanitarian Money is needed for the war and for humanitarian aid, and therefore science has to take a back seat. In general, money for science has always been tight in Ukraine. They have done what they could, but that is not stopping them from thinking about what they wish they could do. Well, usually, uh, until, recent, uh, until recently, we did what we can, but we did not what we want to do. And we actually didn't think in such terms that, uh, and in many cases, it was not hypothesis-driven research. Uh, It was more data collection. So we measured all things that we could measure. Uh, And in some cases, we also did hypothesis-driven research. Um, Therefore, we tested Uh, Well, this was not exactly my experiments, but we tested uh, how organism behave when it's subjected to uh, intermittent fasting. And we also tried to use some uh, plant preparations to either prolong lifespan or to prevent obesity or at least change. And we... uh, uh, have grown from toxicologists. First, our works were uh, distantly toxicological, and then we tried to move 
to more global topics, to aging, to obesity. This is very popular. And oxidative stress, it's, it's very easy to study in our conditions. Modeling aging and obesity is complex, but even with modest means, Dmitro Gospardoyov is happy to work in this area. Uh, for instance, now aging is, uh, it looks like it's uh, connected to metal- metabolism of polyamines uh, and to metabolism of uh, sulfur-containing amino acids, something like this. Um, well, uh, we can also work with our instrument, but I, for this, I need to be mathematician and to uh, develop some mathematician models. But I'm not uh, very well in mathematics. Well, not as well in mathematics as it, sh- as it should be for uh, qualified research in this field. Mathematical models of metabolomics is as fascinating as it is complicated. When it comes to making measurements, instead of measuring gene expression, he and his team measure the actual output of genes, the enzymatic activity levels. Since it's cheap, we often use enzymatic like measurement of enzymatic activities. And I noticed that in uh, uh, Europe and the U.S. labs, it's not very often used. Because uh, Western blood, PCR, and other methods, very progressive methods, they allow to quite precisely measure gene expression. But we try to catch this last level of expression. Uh, it means function, function of it. And it's cheap for us. If they added gene expression data to their data, they could, for example, compare the effect of overeating versus fasting in more ways. Uh, recently, our team discovered that all uh, changes that predispose organism to aging, they start in middle age, middle age point. And I feel it on myself because I see how uh, Often I go to doctor or I need to go to doctor because changes started. Some of his work has involved looking at the physiologic changes in obese adults. And in separate experiments, they look at the effects of intermittent fasting on animals, particularly at enzyme levels in the liver and the brain. It's complicated to disentangle the influence of intermittent fasting on aging, but I wondered, given his work in this area, if his science is influencing his own eating habits. Here's Dmitro Gospardayov. I do not fast. Uh, I do not do this. I, maybe I eat uh, meat every day, mm, but, uh, well, I like uh, such foods that... Uh, uh, people found that they prolong lifespan. For instance, olive oil, I like it very much. And I like uh, salad, salads, uh, and I like avocado, broccoli, and those products. They just, they tasty. Uh, I do not like fat uh, food. Uh, just from my childhood, I don't like very fatty food. Uh, and um, we discovered in 2000, well, it's not we, 
it was American uh, scientists, but uh, they discovered the plant uh, that is called golden root or rhodiola rosea, prolonged lifespan and fruit flies. And it was um, interesting for us because this plant is uh, grown nearby in Carpathians. And we found, we, we bought it on local market because we have lots of this. Uh, and uh, certain time I use this rhodiola, I uh, take it every day. Uh, don't know whether it changed something, but uh, it's not recommended to take before sleep because it's like coffee. It, the effect it's like, it's like coffee. It grows uh, high in the mountains. It's, it's not uh, easy to grow it and to obtain some principles, uh, active principles from this plant. I am hoping when peace arrives in Ukraine that the lab will be able to look more into these plants and the potential active ingredients they contain that might affect lifespan. Metabolomics is an area in which labs combine data, for example, metabolic data and gene expression data. Dmitro Gospardiov follows the science with great interest that is all about teasing out which factors might have influence over which aspects of physiology. One experiment he worked on involved fruit flies on nine different diets and involved many measurements. I see people start to... Uh... And there is a more interest to metabolomics and uh, as well as to gene expression, as well as to protein interactions, uh, transcription factors. But um, when we see all these schemes, all these connections, it, um, it's not very understandable. In 2018, we did really well it, it was not metabolomic uh, uh, work but it was a huge work because we uh, we used uh, several mutants uh, of fruit flies they were uh, knockouts uh, on uh, insulin-like peptides and we measured uh, in them uh, food consumption uh, lipid uh, triacylglyceride accumulation, glycogen, glucose, trigalose, and all measures. And this was all on nine diets. So it's a huge work because we have five lines, nine diets, and lots of uh, measures. Uh, and I spent probably three years to figure out what happens inside these flies. And it was very difficult because when I write article, I realize that I need to keep all data at least in certain moment during certain time in my head all together. Right now, of course, the data he has to keep in his head is about past experiments. And there is, I guess you could call it, a different kind of data about the war in his country. Uh, what it would be important to say that now we uh, have many, we get many letters with support from our, our Western colleagues uh, who say you can visit, uh, not you can visit, we can propose a temporary position in our lab. And they propose lots of positions, but 
uh, Ukrainian men are not, uh, it's impossible for us uh, to apply for them. Only women uh, can apply, and this is good. This is good, I think. Uh, but it's a half of, of uh, our scientists. Um, wow, that's good. So, if you have 50% women, that's better than in the West. <laughs> they don't have 50% women in science. Well, we have lots of women in our department. Probably it's, it's more than men. The invitations from departments near and far are good for Ukrainian science and will, he hopes, help some of the students in his department complete their training. Of course, right now, many are fleeing. Dmitro Gospardiov is happy about the support Ukrainian scientists are receiving in labs and countries around the world. But he is worried that the war will cause a brain drain from Ukraine. This is actually so because we lose our the most smart people. They go abroad because, and I understand them completely because uh, it's sometimes difficult uh, for people to realize in our country because we don't have many money. We need to be very smart to take as much as possible from our equipment and to find some very spectacular ideas to be published and to get very interesting knowledge about, about fruit flies, about aging mitochondria and so on. Uh, but also we uh, want to develop science inside our country, likely after war, after the war. Uh, and in many cases, we are not competitive for grants in Europe and the US. It's, it's very difficult to, com uh, to compete with uh, European rich laboratories. They, have very great works. Competition with other labs that have better funding is hard for scientists in Ukraine. Were European or North American or Asian labs or companies willing to ship donated supplies, delivery would be questionable at the moment. At least now it's, it's not possible. And it was actually difficult because we have our RT-PCR machine from Agile. Uh, and our kids from New England Biolabs, uh, by the way. And we, uh, to obtain this kit, we wait like one month. Uh, and I can compare it with uh, how I got reagents in Finland when I worked as a postdoc there. So it was a little bit more quicker, much more quicker in Finland. And when I uh, ordered primers uh, for PCR, they came within a few days. And now we need to wait one month. And when somebody, when our uh, technician say, your primers came, I uh, say, great, that's victory. <laughs> If a lab keen on donating something wanted to drive something themselves, say, from continental Europe to Ukraine, that would be challenging too. But small amounts of reagents are the types of things that individuals can bring. Well, if, if we uh, could uh, do expert, could conduct experiments here in the wartime, but it's uh, at the moment it's, it's quite dangerous to be 
for a long time there in our department. Uh, then reagents, it's not problem. If I say somebody, our technicians, our people who are responsible for getting reagents, and say uh, some guys uh, can pass uh, some reagents to us, they say no problem. I will. We apply all possible uh, and all we try to use this opportunity as much as possible. It struck me throughout our conversation how Dmitry Gosparov was talking earnestly about science, but that not far from where he was sitting, war is raging. And there is much uncertainty about what can still happen. But talking about science is also a way to escape this difficult reality on the ground for a moment. Part of the reality is organizing reagents. He and others have found creative ways to do that. Well, we survive in this way because even uh, in the past, we if some laboratory in Europe, uh, they moves to some other place, they try to throw out all other reagents to trash. And we say, no, don't get them away. We can use them still. Some of them are not that bad. While putting reagents or instruments on trucks will likely not work right now to supply labs in Ukraine, individuals have had a habit of bringing things in suitcases as they travel to Ukraine. Our people try to manage this as much as possible. For instance, they can take it with them, uh, putting in their, how to say, in their bags, and that's it. That was Conversations with Scientists. Today's guest was Dr. Dmitry Gospardayov, a researcher at Vasil Stefanik Precarpathian National University in Ivano-Frankivsk, West Ukraine. And I just wanted to say, because there's confusion about these things sometimes, nobody paid to be in this podcast. This is independent journalism that I produce in my living room. I'm Vivian Marks. Thanks for listening.